This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Ackerman's journey began as a very young child on a cold and unforgiving operating table in a hospital in New York City. He thought he would die. He thought something was wrong with him. But what Larry would discover is more powerful than anything he could have ever imagined. The power of identity. Larry is the author of the groundbreaking book, The Identity Code. And today, he shares with us how to figure out the most important question in your life. Who am I? your identity, your uniqueness, and the potential it holds. You've probably thought about how identity affects the success of your organization or even your own. And you've probably wondered about what makes you or your company distinctive and why that matters. Clarifying one's core identity is the foundation for creating value and being rewarded for it in return. Looking at the world through the lens of identity reveals purpose, bringing new sight and powerful new possibilities. Valeria Tellez interviews Larry Ackerman, the author of The Identity Code, The Eight Essential Questions for Finding Your Purpose and Place in the World. Larry Ackerman is a leading authority on personal and organizational identity and the pioneer of identity-based management. He is the president of the Identity Circle, a consulting and coaching firm in Westport, Connecticut. His corporate clients have included AARP, Dow Chemical, Fidelity Investments, Lockheed Martin, Maytag, National Geographic, and State Farm Insurance. Larry is the author of two groundbreaking books on identity, Identity is Destiny, Leadership and the Roots of Value Creation, and The Identity Code, The Eight Essential Questions for Finding Your Purpose and Place in the World. He has been a guest lecturer at the Yale School of Management, Chicago's Booth School of Business, Wharton, Pepperdine, and UCLA Anderson School. He is also the author of numerous articles on identity and its impact on leadership, brand, and culture. Larry is a member of the International Coaching Federation and a credentialed coach who works with individuals and executives. Meet Larry at LarryAckerman.com. Here's the interview with Larry Ackerman. In your own words, who is Larry Ackerman? Larry Ackerman is a man driven by the need to help people to see. That's exactly who I am. I help people to see the wisdom of following certain paths. I help people to see the futility of following other paths. And I help people to see uh, the power and the beauty that comes with living according to who you are. 
How did you come to these understandings, Larry, about life and yourself? Well, <laughs> that story begins when I was four years old. And I, we may have talked about this, but I was in the hospital. I had been put in the hospital because I had been born cross-eyed and my parents wanted to, you know, have my eyes fixed. And uh, at four, you don't really understand a whole lot about hospitals and, and surgery and operating rooms. So I remember being literally in the operating room. I remember having the, uh, the bright lights turned on and getting panicky and frightened, feeling a sense of terror. And at a certain point, uh, Valeria, I actually thought that I was going to die. I thought I was going to be killed and I didn't know what I had done wrong. So I asked myself a question, not, not out loud, but an inside question, which was, what is so wrong with me that I have to be changed from who I am? And in that moment, I had an extraordinary sense of being alive, a, a real consciousness about being um, and after that, things went black, so to speak. Um, but ever since that experience in the hospital, um, identity and matters of identity have been the governing force in my life. That's very, very insightful, especially when you, you ask the question, what's wrong with me and that it has to be changed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is... Um I could pause here forever <laughs> with that one. <laughs> that's, that's a question which most four-year-olds never have to uh, address and typically don't. Um, but I did. It, was, it just arose within me and it changed everything from that point forward. So I have another open question about the purpose of the human experience. What do you feel that is? Well, that's a small question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the purpose of the human experience. Um, I think if there is a purpose to the human experience, it is to improve the human condition. It is to make this world a better place for everybody in tiny ways, not just big, grand, fancy ways, but in small ways. I think... The, you know, the point of being here is not just to take, 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 but it is equally, if not more so, to give, 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 um, which I think makes us larger and is its own reward. And uh, I don't know, to me, that, that's why we're here. And I love the way you started answering that question with if there is mm -hmm. a purpose to this experience. That is insightful in itself. How do you define happiness these days, Larry? I have a very specific definition for happiness, Valeria, which I write about in the Identity Code. And that definition is that um, to be happy is to be at peace with yourself among others in the world. To be at peace with yourself among others in the world. So it begins with you, but it emanates out. And for me, that is where happiness lies. Do you see that state of happiness, as you describe as being peaceful with yourself and others, is that a, a destination, a place that we get to and we stay there? Or we keep going back to it? We learn to go back to it? I think we learn to go back to it. I don't think it's a place you necessarily arrive at and that's it, period, end of story. I think life is too complicated to use your term the human experience is too fraught with change and too many things so but but the idea of finding that place in yourself uh, to be at peace with yourself is 
uh, absolutely crucial for me in order to to be a happy person. I don't know how one can be truly happy, and I don't mean that in a simple sense, but in a deeper sense, if you simply follow other people's leads and you do what you're told and you spend your life trying to please other people, I don't think that's going to get you to happiness. So being at peace, that has obviously something to do with, it is connected with the message that you teach, which is mm -hmm. finding who we are. And then it's easy to be at peace. I absolutely agree with that. I think, I think when I talk about being at peace with yourself, I mean, you come to a point and a place where you say, I, I love who I am. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm at peace with myself and I accept myself for who I am. And that's a, a beautiful practice in itself, a mm -hmm. moment to moment practice, one that I engage in very much. And also in a sense of acceptance and being open to whatever the moment or life brings to me. So mm -hmm. that has kind of granted me that sense of peace because then I can see clearly and be calm in the midst of the storm mm -hmm. and uh, react to anything. Although sometimes it still happens, not as a reaction, but a, let's say a response that the mind says it's not really the one to engage in because in my case, I really try to be, to live my life in kindness Just being mm -hmm. kind to myself and others. And then sometimes it's really a challenge to say no because I feel like I'm not being kind to others when I say no to them. I think people who are naturally oriented to helping others, being a good friend, partner, whatever, have that same condition that you're describing. And I do at times as well. So my point is that there's a a very good friend of mine um, once told me about the art of the decline, the art of the decline. And that by that he meant he means that if somebody asks you to do something, whatever it might be on the spur of the moment, instead of saying, oh, okay, mm -hmm. oh, sure, <laughs> you basically <Yeah. laughs> you, you take a moment and you tell that person unless it's something you really do want to do, you say, you know what, let me think about that for a day and let me get back to you tomorrow. And, you know, so I make sure this is something I can really do for you and do it well. And that gives you a space in which you can genuinely evaluate whether it's something you want to do or whether you're just doing it because you want to feel like you're doing the right thing. Uh, so the art of the decline, and then you're able to say, you know what, Valeria, I, I think you're terrific, but... This is, I don't think this is for me. So you can put up, to use your word earlier, um, boundaries. Wow, it is an art, isn't it? Because it is an art. We're yeah. trying to balance yeah, being true to ourselves and, and true to others, but with kindness in a way that doesn't cause conflict, let's say. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you do this, if you do it well, you do it with compassion. But for me has been the feeling of feeling guilt. If I don't say yes... Or if I say no in a kind way even, then there's a tendency in me, a conditioning, that makes me feel guilt. And I always feel like, oh, maybe I should have said yes. In, almost like in a sense of doubting my decision. Do you also have, do you experience these things? Or have you had anyone around you, your clients, who have had this uh, doubt about making the right decision and then doubting yourself? I have not. I, I try very hard to 
grab the moment, seize the moment before I say yes or no to something. And I, I don't think guilt, I understand the feeling, it doesn't really come up for me. Maybe feeling like, you know, maybe I wish I could have done it for them, but I don't feel like I should have done it for them after the fact. I don't, I don't engage in regret. What is your idea of spirituality, Larry? Do you have spiritual beliefs or views? When I was writing my first book way back in the day, 20 years ago, uh, Identity is Destiny, I, the, the book, the publisher had the book reviewed by different, but they call them reviewers just to make sure that, you know, things made sense and whatever. So one of the reviewers got back to my publisher, who then got back to me and said, this guy's writing is, is almost Eastern, like Buddhist. And so I thought, wow, that's an interesting observation. I, I didn't, I wasn't terribly surprised about it, but I guess my point is that my work is intrinsically spiritual. It, it predicates that we all have this deep sense of divinity within each of us. This sense of, for me, a sense of identity is that divinity, that sense of powerful thing that makes us who we are, fundamentally human. And so to me, spirituality and my work are completely um, interdependent. I had the same understanding, the same feeling mm. about your work. And the more I read your book, the more I get to, to see that, the mm. spirituality in it, those principles in it. How wonderful. I guess I say that because spirituality in the sense of seeing the divine everywhere, in myself mm. and others and in everything around me, ah, it has been such a freeing kind of state of, of living. I think it's um, a word I would use instead of free is it's kind of liberating. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a great uh, word too. Yes, right. It'll, it allows you to move through the world and, and your life um, not disconnected from all the struggles that <laughs> we have, but you don't have to necessarily uh, wallow in them either. You can stay, I think the word here, and it's a healthy sense of, of detachment, not blind, but just separate. What are the obstacles to healing? What are some of them? <laughs> One certainly is self-limiting beliefs. You know, I don't think I'm really a good person. I think I'm really not a good person, but I'm not going to tell anybody that. That's not going to allow you to heal. Um, I think the limits to healing are, um, or the obstacles to healing. Frankly, I would say is is your a tendency to feel guilty about things does not promote healing. I, I think it's it's hard, um, and I, I think that we, it's also hard to heal if you are still operating unconsciously under what people told you about yourself or who you, you know, they said, here's who you are, here's who you're not. Uh, when you're a child, when you're growing up, whether it's your parents, or your siblings, your teachers, even friends, you know, if you get stuck in those places, it's going to be tough to let go. It's going to be tough to heal. With that in mind, I wonder if there is a, a moment in time where we become healed from those who have experienced traumas like I did. Do you believe in a destination when it comes to healing? Yes, and maybe. 
<laughs> I think, you know, first of all, the definition of trauma that I find compelling is that it's trauma is unmet, prolonged needs, unmet, prolonged needs. So my experience in the hospital at four was most definitely traumatic. And it took a long time for me to sort that out. So you, I'm sorry, the question again was... Being healed, coming to that space of, of saying that even with sure. confidence, I'm healed. Yeah. I don't know that I would ever say that like in absolute terms, I am healed. There's your chest. So I think, I mean, I think one can feel at times healed, healing better. I think healing comes from uh, forgiveness, actually. Uh, forgiveness can be forgiving a parent for being, you know, for doing stuff that he should not have done, whatever it might be. Or it can be, you know, can be forgiving friends for being jerks or whatever. But it can also, and I think most important, forgiving yourself um, for <laughs> ironically hanging on to negative feelings uh, or hanging on to grudges or hanging on to um, bitterness or hanging on to regret. Um, I think the, the, the pathway to healing is forgiveness. And I think forgiveness comes from being compassionate with yourself and or others. I love that, Larry. It makes a lot of sense to me. So in a sense, we are constantly healing and it we might be constantly forgiving because um, there's always something in life, um, small things that happened that requires that we stay open enough, right, to forgive, to keep doing that, practicing the forgiveness piece. Mm -hmm. You wrote the book, The Identity Code, the mm -hmm. eight essential questions for finding your purpose and place in the world. Talk to me about the, um, I would love to hear again, the main inspiration and the intention of writing this book. Uh, I wrote this book for three reasons. First was to give people hope that these seemingly cosmic questions, you mentioned the eight essential questions, like who am I, uh, what makes me special, uh, where am I going, what is my message, um, is there a pattern to my life, these sort of big questions. I wanted to give people hope that they are actually answerable, number one. You can answer these questions, they are not impossible. Number one. Number two, I wrote it, the book, to give people help to actually provide exercises, which are in the book, so people can do the work answering these questions. And, and the third reason is I wanted to give people a greater um, opportunity to find, in fact, happiness, as we talked earlier. So um, hope, help, and happiness. Those are the things that drove me to write the Identity Code. How do you see your work helping others finding this the pathway to happiness? Because it seems like it's the ultimate place to be, if there is a place to be in this life, <laughs> isn't it? Well, there may be, and I'm, I'm probably biased in my opinion around that. Um, but at least I know it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, <laughs> you know, 
the, the relationship between my work and COVID was pretty interesting. Um, when you're sitting home alone or with others, but you're, you know, kind of locked down, locked in, whatever, it's very difficult to stay centered, just to, to stay balanced, to remain as we did before, uh, aware, aware of your own humanness and practice it more importantly. I think my work helped a lot of people recognize that that experience starts on the inside and not on the outside. Because we all look for outside. You know, I want to get out. I want to escape. I want to go to the restaurant. I'm gonna, I want to do all of these things. I can't. Okay. So start on the inside and let's take a fresh look at, at who you are, whether you're inside or outside. Um, that was helpful to people. In relation to the war in in Ukraine, um, I, I am. I mean, I find it just devastating. And to be honest with you, I don't know that my work has any bearing on it whatsoever, other than the fact that if I had an opportunity to address Ukrainians and say, look, you know, despite the devastation that you're experiencing, you are still whole beings. You are still um, fundamentally powerful, graced humans. And here's how to find that and hold on to it, no matter what's going on around you. I mean, it's not going to you know, put bread on your table, but it can certainly help you stay centered and, and indeed um, somewhat hopeful. That's the only way to begin with change and transformation from my perspective. It is within. There are so many things we can't control like the war that's happening. So it's really a beautiful thing when we can focus on the things that we can control, that we can do something about. Are you familiar with Viktor Frankl? Yes, yes. You know the story with well, his book, wonderful book, Man's Search for Meaning. He's in the concentration camps and, you know, basically all is lost except the one thing which he discovered that nobody can take away is choice. You always have a choice to do be one thing or be another thing or whatever. And that kept him alive and it kept him hopeful. And I think it's very important, a very important message right now. I mean, I don't know how things can get much worse than being in a concentration camp, although I understand the Ukrainian situation is probably not a lot better. But I think about Frankel and, and that insight of his, very important. And I wonder... How come some of us don't seem to see that, that we have a choice? It's fascinating how it's some of us get stuck, right, with the, in one place and we can't find a way out. We do get stuck in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different crevices in our lives. I think as much as we want to get unstuck, and I think most people do, it's hard to find the light. You know, what's the way, what's the path out here? I mean, I've worked with many people who felt stuck in a career path and they weren't sure how to get out. And, and I say, well, before you worry about what your next job or career move is, why don't we, why don't we start with understanding who you are and how you create um, fundamental value in the world as a human? And then we can look at the career implications of that. So it's kind of a different way to look at getting unstuck, if you will. It seems like uh, pain and suffering has a threshold. It's almost like a limit. We get there, then the only way is to elevate our thinking, our way of living. It's almost like a, a shift 
into something greater. It's incredible to see that. In my own life has happened. Do you see that? I do at times. I think we uh, we humans, again, I'll reflect back to your question about what is the human experience. I think we are blessed with an incredible uh, drive to survive. And that drive kicks in in very many different ways when you least expect it, given the situations that you're in, you know? So, yeah, I think you can, I don't know if elevator is the right word, but you certainly can uh, try to find ways to transcend current problems or miseries even. It's really up to you. Again, it comes back to choice. I mean, I think the other problem, Valeria, with people who feel stuck is that while it's uncomfortable, it's familiar. And what is and what is familiar tends to be very uh, attractive, if you will, even if it's not comfortable. So sometimes, you know, I want to change. I want to get out of this. I think, you know, maybe I do, maybe I don't. I do, but I'm I'm afraid. I'm scared to take the next step. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on inside these these human minds and hearts of ours. So human beings, I see that we resist a lot. Uh, there's a lot of resistance, a lot of fear to change. Your message is so beautiful about being true to yourself, finding out who you are and living that truth. Right. So for us, it's really it's such a challenge to do that. And maybe that's why we suffer so much. And sometimes we have to reach the point of despair in order to find balance. I think that's really well said. I think, as I say, we are survivalists at heart, but it can take <laughs> a lot to push us over the edge where we, we would just surrender to whatever is better. It's hard. I mean, it, it reminds me of um, recovering alcoholics or drug addicts who, you know, the expression they finally hit bottom and then something changed um, or they they recognized that they had no viable choice other than to do something to change. Um, that's that's a dramatic example, I think, of what you're talking about. Um, and thank God people can, you know, survive those moments and and come back and become better, richer, more vibrant uh, humans. And I see a lot of people around me, still not mm. a lot, hopefully, but mm. some of them, they live feeling depressed, like there's no change. Has they have been living this way for so many years, right? And I'm like, didn't they reach the point of it's enough? I want to be happy. I wanted to find what you know happiness is within myself. It really, yeah, it, it fascinates me. Well, the other the other difficulty in what you're describing is if you've been living a certain life for decades, or at least you know ten, whatever, five, ten, twenty years more. What feels bad can feel good because it's familiar. Remember that? It's familiar. And the, the, I think, I, you know, we know so much more than we are aware of. There's the notion that if I really decide to change or, you know, I want to get unstuck or whatever it is, I want to be happier. To do that work means that you're going to have to come clean with yourself, you know, you've maybe made a lot of you know mistakes or that's going to be painful. That's going to be tough. So I think the other thing we haven't talked about here is the notion of that it takes courage to change. 
real courage. This is not a, a walk in the park. You know, this is I've worked with people for with, with whom we talk about that. And I'll say this is what you're working on is tough and, and it takes courage and bravery and you're doing great. And they need to hear that because it's true. Oh, my God. I love to hear that, too, because my husband at this moment, at this time, he's writing his own book, his okay. own memoir about all the suffering, all the painful moments he went through. And I can see that. And I say to him constantly, that's very courageous. What are you doing? So that's true, Larry. You just reminded me of that, how important it is to keep encouraging people to experience that uh, inner truth, even if it comes in a painful form. Yeah. So think about the word you just used. Roll the film back about 20 seconds. You said it's important to encourage, right? The word encourage comes from the word courage. To encourage means to acknowledge people's courage. <laughs> That's what it means. Yeah, it's almost like adding a bit more of our courage, their courage, so they can do the courageous work. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful kind of circle. Yes, mm -hmm. I, I see that. So going back to the topic of choice, in your book, you have a chapter title, if I'm not mistaken here. It's the, the myth of personal freedom and mm -hmm. the meaning of identity. Mm -hmm. So talk to me for a moment about that, about that chapter. Uh, yeah, that opens the book. Um, the myth of personal freedom is the idea that and we're all we've been brought up in this society where you can be whatever you want to be in this life. If you just work hard, aim high, have boundless self-confidence, it's, it's this. I mean, it may be true in parts, but it may be a big fantasy as well. So the myth of personal freedom is the myth that you can do whatever you want to be, no matter what, under any circumstance. I don't believe that. I think you can't be anything you want to be in this life. I, I don't think I ever could have been um, a ballet dancer hmm. or, <laughs> yes. or an astronaut or a boat captain for any number of reasons. So, but at the same time, I believe while you can't be anything you want to be, you have more potential than you know. And that's the identity um, element. So in a way, Larry, do you believe that we, we are born with these seeds for certain potentials, unique and individual? Absolutely, 100%. I think the seeds of our identities are planted at the moment of conception. Just like you have DNA, you know, biological, physical DNA, I think you have a, call it spiritual or emotional or some other form of DNA, which is the, the identity we're talking about that is intrinsic in you. It's born into you. It is special. And your job, your mission, as they say, Mission Impossible, should you decide to accept it, and I hope you do, is to discover it, nurture it, cultivate it, and deepen it over the course of your life and, and the people whose lives you affect. Would you say that you are exactly where you're supposed to be? Are you living your potential right now? Would you say that? I think, you know what, if I said, yes, I'm 100%, I'd be lying. I don't think I am. I think I'm, I'm on the path and I kind of, in some days, weeks, 
months, I'm hitting my stride. I mean, the last four or five months, I've been doing some very important work. It's been great. And then there are times when it's not in full flower, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, I know. But that's, again, that's part of being human. But I know this, that, that if I look back on my life and my career at this point, uh, I have most definitely realized my potential. And again, is there more? Probably, yes, there is. But at the moment, I'm feeling pretty good about what I have done and what I've contributed. That sounds really beautiful to me as well, especially because with that message in mind that we spoke earlier about not having regrets, we never know when we'll lose the body or leave the body or die. So it seems to me that would be a, an important kind of uh, the sense of, of fulfillment that I am where I'm supposed to be in this moment. And that is okay. That's enough. I think that's if it's if this is the end, then this is will have been enough. Mm, Do I want it right. to be the end? No, I really don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course not. Yeah, but I understand your point, and it also comes back to my definition of happiness: being at peace with yourself, among others in the world. You know, am I at peace with what I've accomplished so far? All things considered, yes, I am. Is there more I might do? Probably, but I'm at peace with what I have done. In your book, you say so many, a lot of statements that resonated true as well. Authenticity is what identity is all about. That's one of the things you mentioned. Identity is everywhere. That Mm -hmm. one I have it here because I would love to understand this more, to unfold Mm -hmm. this phrase, this statement. Identity is everywhere. The, the, The expression is identity is all around us. That was what I wrote. And what I meant by that, and this was also early in the book. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to yeah. provide context for the reader to appreciate just how widely discussed, if you will, identity is in our lives. I mean, it's in newspapers every day. Talk about identity politics. Oh, my God, I can't stand to listen to it anymore. <laughs> it, yeah. it shows up in, in so many ways in the corporate world and in, in our personal lives in you know, the identity of a, of an apple versus the identity of a whatever you, you can read about these things. And in my office some years ago, when I had a, an office in New York city, I had a, what I called my identity wall. And <laughs> I would, I would read the paper in the morning. This is when we didn't have cell phones just yet. Well, we did, but we were still reading papers and I would cut out articles had in the in the title the word identity and my god they're all over the place and i began to put put them on my wall and then folks who work with me would cut out articles and they put them up on my wall so it was an extraordinary visual reminder that identity is really all around us it's talked about in so many ways all the time it's almost when i think about the word identity i think about solidity It's almost holding on to ideas and concepts that are supposed to be true for us. And that is, for some reason, that's an interesting word because my brain processes differently than mine. It it processes very differently. Also in the sense of fear, because so many of us are so uneasy about the idea of losing our identity, the one that we have created and we have let's say, mm-hmm. vested for so long 
to become something. And then we do, and then we are unhappy with that. And then we, some people, they just even don't go back. They don't even try to reverse that because there's so much invested into it. Exactly. We talked about that earlier. Sometimes what is familiar is, even if it's not right, is more comfortable than, you know, changing. So in a way, Larry, the more we invest in the, uh, let's say, false identities, then the more challenging it is to uncover our true identity, isn't it? Mm. So let me let me uh, respond to that. Um, I, I completely agree, and it really distresses me, Valeria, because in our world today, uh, you know, this notion of identity has been hijacked, if you will, mm, uh, mm. to mean things which I just don't agree with. I mean, again, my identity, I'm making this up, my identity is that I am a white man who lives in Connecticut, who's got one child, is married, and is a consultant and likes um, classical guitar. That's my identity. Or my, you know, your identity, you're a woman, and there's the gender identity. There's all kinds of different descriptions of identity. And the problem is that people stop right there. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm a white male, or I'm a black female, I'm trans, I'm not trans. That's my identity. I identify with that. And I, I, I sit there and I just feel like crying because these people are not giving themselves, they're not honoring who they truly are. They're honoring labels. They're honoring affiliations. That's not identity. I mean, it, if it is, it's identity with a small eye, but it's not identity with a big eye. I love when you say that too, with the big eye, which I think about the third eye. <laughs> think well, about I, the spiritual I, I, there, Yes, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, going deeper into it. Um, <laughs> so we're almost at the end, and I have so many other notes here. I would love to go through some of the questions. I actually tried to answer some of them. So the questions are eight questions. Uh, who am I? Uh, what makes me special? So that question stopped me. Because I guess that when I think about identity with the third eye, with going deeper into it, I almost feel like the only thing that makes me special is the sense of divinity that is in you, that's in everyone, that's mm. everywhere. So in a way, there's nothing special about me. <laughs> but then I think, really, but then I think about kindness but that's not something special. It's just something that it's almost like a, a practice that is uh, something mm -hmm. that I've, I value, perhaps. The question is, what, like for you, what makes you special? What, if I ask you the, the same question, how would you answer that? That question is, again, don't forget why I wrote the book. Number one is to give people hope that you can actually answer these questions. Number mm, two is yeah. to get help in answering them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so yes, you can answer this question. And the help comes in the form of very specific exercises, um, which are designed to reveal what it is you really love. What, you, what do you truly love? You have to unearth what you love. And I'm, this is a much longer conversation, but one quick example, you, the exercise begins by saying, okay, name activities that you, you love to do, whatever that might be. I don't care. Hiking, skiing, whatever, cooking. And then ask yourself the question, why do you love whatever it is? Ask yourself the question three times. 
Why do I love um, hiking? I'm going to make it up quickly. I love hiking because it brings me close to nature. Okay. Why do you love being close to nature? Well, I like being close to nature because it gives me uh, a sense of um, intimacy with the land. And well, why do you like that? Because it gives me a feeling of harmony. So you go from saying, I love hiking to I love harmony. Okay. So I want you to appreciate and your listeners that we have extraordinary knowledge within us that we are not aware of. And the entire identity discovery process is geared to making unconscious knowledge conscious. So yes, Valeria, you are special and there are certain, I call them your identity muscles to be cute or natural strengths, really natural innate capacities that are there and you can tap into them if you know how to do it. Of course, because your work, it's really a beautiful one when it comes to identify who mm -hmm. we are. So coming from a place of not knowing who we are or being uncertain to certainty, going deeper into it. So it's like a roadmap and questions are wonderful when it comes to that. That is correct. And that is precisely what the identity code is. It is a roadmap for you should you want to discover who you are and create a plan, if you will, <laughs> for living for living your life through that lens. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Larry. Sure. I really appreciate you and your work very Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book? Okay. Um, yes, I have a passage. Would you like me to read it now? Yes, please. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. In short, there is no person walking this planet who doesn't have the capacity to live through his or her identity. If we were to make identity the foundation of our lives, it would be a better, more productive world. But my vision is at best a hope. You are the one who matters. You are where the world begins. As you open yourself up to the possibilities your identity code reveals, remember that you are inviolable. You have value in this world simply as a result of being who you are. No one can take your identity away from you. No one can make you be someone you are not. That is your strength and it is eternal. Never lose sight of who you are. I love that. What a beautiful passage. Thank you so much again, Larry. That's such a beautiful intention. My last question before the technical one is, if there is one message from our conversation today you wish the listeners to take with them and live by, what would that be? I think I would circle back to why I wrote the book, which is we all live in a world where we're, we think about questions that we feel are unanswerable, like, you know, who am I and what makes me special? But my message to your listeners is that those are answerable questions. And number two, I'm here to help you answer them. Should you want that help? Certainly through the book. Because my intent is to help you achieve a happier life, to be more at peace with yourself, among others in the world. That's my message. Mm, yeah, and the profound one. Thank you, Larry. Thank you a thousand times. And before we say goodbye today, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, my suggestion would be to go to my website, which is simply LarryAckerman.com and uh, cruise around. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> there, there are. There's a section on the navigation bar that says identity and you. And if you just tap onto that and look down, there's a section about identity, uh, identity-based living, which is the one that would be most appropriate for your listeners. And there's one about identity-based leadership. And there's even one about identity-based management. So you can look through any of those lenses and find yourself, no pun intended. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile as well. Thank you, Thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Larry. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Larry Ackerman and his work, please visit LarryAckerman.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>